Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Intro. Welcome to... Sorry, I interrupted you. Let me try again. One, oh, hi, how are you? <laughs> three... Two, Two, one. Welcome, Welcome to, to Homo, Homo Sapiens. Sapiens. Remind me, because I'm not getting any younger. Who am I? You're Chris Sweeney. Uh, Who am I? You're Will Young. <gasps> oh, God, I love him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the show this week, your Twitter questions and Lady Phil, who is the co-founder of UK Black Pride. And one of the most hysterical people I've ever encountered. Once you've listened to our wonderful interview, just YouTube her. She's very funny. Hi, just warming up. Hi. Hi. Hey, you know that's what they do on um, sound check at a gig. Yes. And the person that will do the mics, which will be one of the two sound men, they always say the same thing. Hey. One. <laughs> one, two. Hey. Um, that's, that's the last 18 years of my life. <laughs> Summed up. Um, now I've got much to say. I've had a very, very exciting uh, seven days. Go on. Well, shall I start with... I'll start with the people that I've met. I'll start with the clocks going back or forwards. <laughs> oh, yeah. That threw me. Zoe Ashton. Oh, yeah. Brilliant actor. She's just done a film with Jake Gyllenhaal. Very funny, really intelligent. She's directed, she's writes, and she's edited Women's Hour. And now she's written a book called Character Breakdown, which is coming out. And um, I was on Loose Ends, the Radio 4 show with her. She was amazing. Very inspirational. She's been on my radar for a while because she's always doing things her own way. And she's very cool. Mm. Very cool. I gave her my number. Um, Did you? Hey, babe. Pop round for cake anytime. I gave her my number. Hey. Yeah, hey. Hey, I said. One, two. Um, And then, very cultural, I went to see Gillian Anderson in All About Eve. Ah. The Noel Coward. You know the Noel Coward. Uh, you know people say that oh the NC is it on at the Wyndham's oh the Wyndham's yeah yeah oh nightmare the The loos are so hard to get to Um, she was there a lot of history she's like your new best friend no well I'm trying to make her my new best friend in a potential sort of stalking way Mm -hmm. Um, you know define best friend that's what you can say to her when she turns around and says leave me alone yeah when she's in my car yeah Um, she's all right, Gillian unlock this boot (laughs) now You've seen the size of my car. <laughs> well, actually, she's quite she's quite petite. Um, yes, I went to see her, and she was very good. As was Lily James. Oh yeah, yeah. Who was in Downton Abbey? And I'm sure lots of other things. She probably was hates she in Downton saying. Abbey. Yeah, she was the cousin. Oh, the rogue cousin that arrived. Good knowledge. Didn't yeah. know that. Oh, and I've got one other thing to say. Go on. I have done a deep dive on Pose. Ah, now I've watched the first episode. I cried at every episode. Did you? I I just think, honestly, like the way that gay men were treated during the HIV um, AIDS epidemic, Mm. I I just couldn't help but cry. And then the way transgender people were treated, I think I'm right in saying that all the people in it who play transgender are transgender. And it's all about the voguing community and the different houses that they have. So Mm. the house of Evangelista. Yes. Named after the famous supermodel. Kate Moss. Uh, Kate Moss. Um, House of Moss was just a bit of dust. And um, <laughs> it's just amazing. I found it beautiful. Made by Ryan... Murphy. Murphy, who made Assassination of Gianni Versace. Oh. Bit of trivia for you. Ben Stevenson, who is our correspondent who reported from the <laughs> Share Show, he is married to a writer called Tom Rob Smith, oh. 
who wrote Assassination of Gianni Versace, which you have to watch. If you haven't seen it, dear listeners, it's incredible. He also then wrote a show called London Spy about a gay relationship with a spy, which was Ben Whishaw and is incredible as well. I've been having a cultured week as well. Speak on, dear friend. I went to see Alice Always. Yes. Really good story about a woman who infiltrates a family a little bit like... Line of Beauty. Line of Beauty, where yeah. he moves in oh, with the yes, family. Oh, yes, yes, Had flavours of that. Was it a good play? Did you get bored? <laughs> so, listen, I get quite anxious before the theatre because I'm like, two and a half hours. What's going to happen? Can't we do this in 90 minutes? I wasn't bored at all. It was beautifully done. Nick Heitner directed it. It was at the Bridge Theatre. Oh, the Bridge, yeah. Which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then that thing is, when you see a good play, then it cures you for a bit. So yes. You're not nervous. About seeing a shit one. Yeah. I like to walk out of plays, but the only problem with that is when you're famous, <laughs> they fucking notice. <laughs> Particularly if you've blagged the tickets for free. So you're front row in the middle. Well, I just know that I've, I've, well, I just don't come back for the second half. I've done that a couple of times. Oh, yeah. I've got an idea, by the way. Oh, please. I think we should dress and go out and drag. I'm down. you've spoken about it in your past, dressing as Kate Moss. A. B, I've got great legs. You have got great legs. Thank you. Um, legs like a young Nicole Kidman. And I'd like to... I've never dressed in drag. I've only dressed as a granny. What would be your look? Fierce as hell. Really? I go all out. Body. Really? Yeah. The category is body. So, like, <laughs> are we talking like a Roland Murray bando dress or whatever it's called? Yeah, I. but I'm wanting some midriff. I mean, there'll be a little bit of tummy there, but some I'm wanting a midriff. I'm wanting a tight mini skirt. Yeah. Got it. It's body eleganza. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd go, I'd go Alexis Carrington. <sighs> Full Joan Collins. Oh my God. So like white leather shoulders and diamonds. I can see you doing What do you it? think? Well, maybe if you go as Alexis, I'll go as Crystal. Yeah, great. So she was the blonde one, right? Yeah. Do you remember when they had the fight in Dynasty? Do I heck? It was fucking amazing. It was my childhood. I literally think it... I mean, I was, what, 11 at the time or whatever. I think it absolutely blew my mind and changed my world. I was like, nothing gets better than this. Why did that connect with us? It's really funny. I remember it so clearly as well. Because it was so camp and it was so... Camp's probably a reductive word, but it, it was two rivals... It was really camp. But they did it in, didn't they do it in a walk-in wardrobe or something? There was clothes everywhere. I, I remember some, I didn't, didn't they go down the stairs though as well? I oh, remember I th- them going down the stairs. Oh, I think they had or a couple. chuck it down the stairs, yeah. yeah and maybe couple. they had a few. They did have a couple, but I just thought it was great. And I was very pro-Crystal. I remember just being, watching Dynasty and it was on and I liked it because I liked Jane Collins. And in my mind, I kind of wondered if she was my mum sometimes. And That's don't sweet. why. Yeah, and then when they had that fight, I was like, finally, something on television I can watch. Like, I remember thinking, this is interesting. It was high drama, wasn't it? But in a really camp, crappy way. Yeah. We did get an email. Should we talk very quickly about Andrew Moffat? Because um, I know that he got in touch with us. And just to contextualise Andrew Moffat and what's been going on, we went to see him. If you have listened to season two, if you haven't, shame on you. Um, No, welcome. And uh, he introduced a thing called No Outsiders in his school. We went to uh, interview him in Birmingham. And there's been a huge furore about it, or furore, um, a large ruckus, and parents have been protesting. Or um, ragu. Or a ragu, or ragu. Um, and it's all been in over all the papers, around the papers. Also, it was on Question Time. And we bring it up in our interview with our mm. guest, Lady Phil, but just to sort of say it has become quite a big thing. And there's been a new law introduced that... Well, people are mixing it up because there's sex education and then there's education, relationship education, which is quite a broad sort of category. And you can, it starts at six, so at primary schools. Mm. But they're not sexual, they're not educated about sex at six. But anyway, big ruckus. Andrew's in the middle of it. Cue Chris. Andrew Moffat's written So this is the email he wrote us. Hi, Chris and Will. So there I am driving along the A41 on the way to Port Ellesmere for a No Outsiders training day. 
chortling away to the latest episode of Homo Sapiens. Please rate and subscribe, Andrew. <laughs> when I got a mention, well, I almost swerved into the path of an oncoming lorry. I was so excited. Oh dear. Just wanted to reassure you about No Outsiders as there's been a lot of press recently. When you visited, what you saw was reality. Parents and children understood No Outsiders in context and accepted our teachings of LGBT equality alongside equality for race, religion and disability. I think the fact I had no problem getting parents to give consent for children to speak on your podcast specifically about LGBT equality demonstrates how accepted the ethos was. God, he's good. What's changed is a panic about the perceived changes to the teaching of SRE, sex relationship education. As you know, there is no sex in No Outsiders. LGBT is just one part and it is incredibly frustrating for me to have to have my work misrepresented in this way. The press keep calling it LGBT lessons, which in itself is misleading. The decision was made to pause No Outsiders last week because our priority has to be the welfare of our children and the protests are causing untold damage to the school in many ways. We will re-engage with parents and find a way forward together. We cannot just stop teaching about different race and religion and we cannot just stop teaching about different families. So true. The last four weeks have been the hardest of my career and I've had some wobbles, but I am still here. The support from around the UK has been phenomenal and bookings for an outsider's training have surged. So it's heartwarming to see that schools are not put off. If anything, they're motivated to do something. That's cool, isn't it? Andrew Moffat. And he ends by saying, I love listening to Homo Sapiens and I'm very proud to have been part of your journey. I hope to meet you again one day. Keep doing what you're doing. All my love, Andrew. That won't happen because once we have a guest, then they're dead to us. But (laughs) um, no, Andrew, thank you so much for getting in touch. And I just, you're so right. He's very good at breaking it down because it's about teaching difference. And it's not, he's reminded me, it's not just LGBT stuff. It's about teaching about different relationships diversity religion race and so very why would you not want that the press are saying anything different to that i know it's so i'm worried mm. did you say did i hear you whisper you have your finger on the pulse of uh, westminster are they voting fi- on something i have my finger on the pulse so this week in the news lgbt education lessons this is from the evening standard will be taught in primary schools following historic vote by mps Primary school pupils will learn about LGBT relationships following following a landslide vote by MPs in the House of Commons. Mm. The government's new LGBT inclusive regulations for relationships and sex education were approved by 538 votes to 21 after Education Secretary Damien Hines announced the proposed update last month. That's good news, isn't it? Yes, well done as a correspondent. Little Oh, thank you. Yes, that was very good. One thing I will say to you about this week, what with this clement weather and the clocks changing, forwards or backwards, I can never remember. I've been having a look at my summer wardrobe. Ah. Now, I found this person on eBay who sells Margaret Howell stuff. Cheap. I've thought about it a lot and I'm not going to divulge the name. I dropped the phone. What do you think about that? I don't think you should. Absolutely not. Would you, are you? Do you divulge you it to your gold, friend? If you found gold, would you just hand it out to? Do you divulge it to your friend? Even I don't mind if you say no. I'm afraid I can't. I can't. <sighs> my God. Oh my God. <laughs> but I bought some pleated shorts. Oh God, I've got to process that actually. Yeah. God, that's hard. I think, I think that's what they call in psychology a body blow. And what I could do is try and find it myself, and then that would be all right. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll come after you if you do. <laughs> All of which got me thinking about wardrobe mistakes that we've made over our time. I know I've made a few. You're making one right now, pal. (laughs) (laughs) Not giving me the name. I know you've made a few. Not my place to say. I've made shitloads. So we asked our dear listeners, what wardrobe mistakes have you made over your years? One in particular. Kaz has says, I had a puffball skirt when I was in my teens. Love those. Nothing wrong with that. Quite Alexis Carrington, actually. Very, yes. A sort of walking toadstool. If you will. Take that, Kaz. Um, <laughs> Gareth Dimelo. As a poor student, I once spent £100 on a mandarin collar, electric blue, crushed velvet jacket. Ooh. I wore it once and realised it wasn't bold or unconventional. It was just ridiculous. Now, I don't know his skin tone, but I don't like the sound of that. Fortune favours the brave, is what I'll say. <laughs> a fashion forecaster once said to me, lime green will never happen. And I don't think it has, has it? If you remove Sarah Green on going live out of the equation, <laughs> she was partial to a bit of lime green. I bet she did. I think it was... And pro- she made, she rocked them, by the way. I don't know what that mean. Now, that's Mr. Pisswig says... 
Thought um, you were starting a children's book then. With a yeah. Mr. Pithwick met Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> Ruffle shirt with a peach safari suit. I'm into that. I'm so into that. That's great. If you still got it, send it in, please. The Lushmeister has said mid eighties five star concert, Manchester Apollo. Oversized bright yellow blouse, orange pencil skirt, baby blue stilettos. Ooh. I'm a redhead and I was trying to channel Ooh. Molly Ringwald, but looked more like a cross-dressing McHucknell on acid. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. I like the sound of a cross-dressing McHucknell yeah, on acid. I rather like the sound of that because it sounds very 80s. Do you remember the moment on Going Live when Five Star and they were ringing in? Yeah, and Sarah say? Green was like, who's next? And he used to say something, you're all fucking shy. <laughs> it <was so> <laughs> and they cut it off. Well, that wasn't very nice children, was yeah. it? Oh, dearie me. Mm-hmm. Welbeck Pure says the red perm with matching eyebrows. Can you perm an eyebrow? Depends how bushy it is. I think this could be our best ever question. What have been, I know we've spoken about the podcast once you're, when your trousers tore, but any other? Oh, any other? when my knob came out. Um... <laughs> That poor woman just got flapped in her face in Portugal. <laughs> I'm not allowed back in the country. Definitely at the beginning of Pop Idol, I wore some absolutely horrific... I remember wearing sort of green jungle pants because apparently they're really cool, which were kind of like baggy and all the all the sort of pop dancers all wore sa- them. All Danny Saints Minogue. Vibe. Yeah, all saints. All yeah. saints. But then sort of with a sort of tweed jacket. Oh. And then these sort of Puma trainers. Puma, I managed to get all these sort of like Velcroed Puma trainers. I looked... An yes. absolute state with a flat cap because that this only gave me a flat cap, which was probably quite genius because that did become my kind of look. Really? Um, ironically, though, during Pop Idol in the final week when we did a thing, the battle buses try and canvas for votes. Um, luckily, I studied politics for three years. Am I boring you? Um, and uh, <laughs> Chris just yawned. Um, and the my management company, something a word came through, remove the flat cap off him. Wow. And I was 22, a little sprite of a boy. Mm. And I was Give like, it the dream. And I said, no, mm-hmm. I'm keeping the, the flat cap on. And the cameraman turned around and said, well done, Will. Really? So it's a classic example of little victories in life. <laughs> did <laughs> what he a then, shit story. Did he then say, but you've got to lose <laughs> either <laughs> the, di- the diamante waistcoat, <laughs> the, <laughs> the silver puma velcroids. Something's got to give. All the pirate earring. Something's got to give. Well, those Twitter answers were amazing. Mm. And uh, I have a visual of all of your 80s outfits um, with some beautiful crushed silk. Um, so, on to our guest. I mean, I feel like I'm doing a slight French and Saunders sketch of a radio show. Oh, go on. On to our guest, Lady Phil. Uh, what can I say about her? Well, she's had an incredible life and she now heads up, amongst other things, because she works for trade unions, UK Black Pride. And She's the co-founder of UK Black Pride. Co-founder, indeed. And she's a trustee with Stonewall. A lot of people, you know, in the LGBTQ plus world are very fond of her because she's really magnanimous and funny and warm and charming and she is someone who sticks up for what's right and the way she talks about how she founded UK Black Pride which started out as just an idea and all the hostility she came up against that she told us about and uh, she never gave up is remarkable and one of the things that a lot of our listeners of you dear listeners have written and asked about is for us to talk about lgbtq plus racism so that's a big thing that comes up in the interview as well so um hopefully that will be the beginnings of some discussions obviously we're never going to get to the bottom of it on this here podcast but it's good to be talking about it and she had some incredible things to say so let's have a listen to lady phil shall we well let's have a listen because i think my my mother's calling (laughs) oh god You walk into UK Black Pride, I mean, you'll have to go through a security, not an airport-style security search, but like anything, just making sure there are no glass bottles. You walk through, and what you see... Is you out, Chris? Yeah. No, you <laughs> just put it in your uh, hip flask. Chris is the old Blossom Hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can just decant that into yeah, something. Oh, you've got the ice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be greeted by an array of our volunteers who come from 
all over the place. Then you'll see like a main stage, you'll see a community zone area, which is full of stalls where people are selling their merchandise, or you'll see people having a picnic, you'll see people sitting down, taking it, they've got their camper chair with them. And the space is filled with absolute love. Bodies dancing and enjoying themselves and learning about different things because we also have a, a well-being area because not everybody wants to be like by a dance stage you know mm. not everyone wants to just be by the stalls so there's something for everyone can you tell us how you got where you are now because i think that's oh wow well. yeah if, i mean if <laughs> better, have a, better have a sip of drink i'm pretending <laughs> this is rum and coke but it's warm <laughs> so i was i was born in islington i thought i was the only child because what happens is your parents who come over as like migrant workers, they leave their children behind and, you know, want to provide a better life. We went to Edmonton, various places, and siblings came over and I was shipped out to Hertfordshire to go to school. So I went to this very lovely school. It was all white and I was the only black child there for three years. And it was what I would call the experience. This is my secondary school. The experience that shaped who I am. It was filled with, you know, the names Spear, Chucker, Phil. You're a monkey. I bet you live in mud huts. And the first fight I ever got into because she called me, the girl called me the N-word. I, people love using that N-word so f- freely. Um, and it wasn't until um, we went to a place called Townhouse with a couple of friends. And this was in Enfield Town. And back then, Enfield Town was the headquarters for the BN, the NFBMP. I didn't know, I was about 11, 12. So I'm out with my friends and I always say Hayley. I was out with Hayley, Hayley's blonde hair, blue eyes. She was brilliant, she was so lovely. And as we were walking through, you could hear this, what seemed like a marching band. So I'm thinking, oh right, gosh, something's happening here. This old woman with this tartan, you know, the push trolleys, mm. the shopping carts. Super grand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah. You know, she walked past us and she goes, oh, love, you better get in that shop front. You know, they don't like your sorts. When you're 11, 12, you don't really understand that. So we're waiting and Hayley looks over. She goes, oh, let's wait in there and let them pass. And all these guys came down we were Dr. Martin Boots, bomber jackets, you know, Swartzsicker, the British flag, the Red Cross flag, St. George's flag. And they were just chanting things that I can't even recall now. But now that I'm older, I knew exact. I know exactly what that was about. But those people that marched who didn't like my sort, as the woman put it, made me realise that I was different to Hayley because I was getting these really dirty looks. And when we went back to school, we spoke about it with teacher, Mr Bunyan. Um, that's what he was called. Teacher's and, names. Yeah. Teacher's names. Oh, just... I know. And they stick with you. Yeah. And... I would have stuck with them like a, yeah. like a Bunyan. We had Mr Morning, but anyway. <laughs> and, and Mr Bunyan... He felt uncomfortable about talking about it and Haley felt uncomfortable about talking about what had happened that Saturday in the march. And I thought, why is everyone feeling uncomfortable? I'm the one who has experienced these dirty looks, this horrible feeling of, could we be attacked? They don't like my sorts, whatever that meant. And it was then from school, I recognise that my difference was very, very different to my counterparts. And I started doing a lot of reading. I read up on Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, the Black Panthers, and I wanted to talk about it at school. And our curriculum didn't lend itself to that. You know, I could tell you all about the Battle of Hastings, 1066. I learnt about that an awful lot. So I would challenge in school and then I got a reputation for being a bit mischievous or being disruptive. 
And that's what happens when children are not taught things which are part of their identity or their experiences. You know, look, we're having the debate right now about should LGBT education be taught in schools? Well, why not? If you're talking about race, talking about religion, why is it even a question? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was that was me constantly challenging and then went right through to college, to my everyday <clears throat> life but that was more about race and not about sexual orientation though and how did it feel when you first realized that you were different from Hayley well I can only speak that now about Mm. realizing being different is that she didn't know how to deal with that and that meant I didn't know how to communicate with her on that because I didn't want to offend her I didn't want to upset her that I wanted to raise something which was fundamentally different between mm. us. You know, she'd come round to my house. My mum would cook African food and the colours, the music, she'd love it. But actually, she didn't love it when we were outside. And that's because she had no way of dealing with that level of racism spouted towards me and as a child you're not given those tools to be Mm. able to deal with racism if you're if you're white how do you deal with racism piled at your friends you know unless you've got real liberal parents that talk to you and tell you actually racism is bad and you know everyone should be treated in a fair and open way you don't have the tools to do that. Mm. We drifted apart. Did you? And yeah. And I think it was because of that Saturday and because I then turned into this, apparently, a child who was disruptive at school for raising things that were not being taught. Being interested. <laughs> yeah. Being interested in, yeah. in anything other than the Battle of Hastings. Oh, I know. Do things start to change when there is a structure in place and a remit that has been put in from the top, by that I mean government, that goes, this is now what is legal and illegal. This is now, you use that kind of language. Once that sort of filters down, I feel then schools are feel like they've got some support. Otherwise it's just mm. them against parents yeah. who are bigoted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And I take nothing away from teachers who do an amazing job, you know, given the sort of remit that they do have and the amount of work that they've got to do they're like therapists counselors parents second parents you know in fact they spend more time with people's children than the parents do in Mm. in in most instances i think when you're talking about laws and legislation and policy that changes from the top it's about how it's implemented we look at the repeal of 377 in india that's great but has it actually changed the lives of Asian people who are still living in a an area where class and caste has such a dominating factor in what they have access to? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So, yes, section 28 did a lot and changed a lot, you know, what we fought for. But we're still seeing today the reversal of can teachers even teach LGBT? Well, that's what I thought was it. So I was watching Question Time, eating some giant dairy milk buttons at the same time. (laughs) Um, And then I actually just literally zonked out. Um, It finished (laughs) like that. You fell asleep during it? Literally, (laughs) just at the end, I was like, my final thoughts were, well done, Fiona Bruce. Um, But it was so interesting when they asked the Tory minister, I can't remember who it was now, about what he felt, should it be taught in schools? Mm. And he gave this very kind of roundabout answer. And he also kind of like, was like, well, 
we'll leave it to the schools to implement and we'll see see how it's done and you know not not so sure I mean at some right? yeah, yeah it's so wishy-washy and I was literally I was like if I was there and um and also it was kind of like well at some age yes it is important to be taught it about difference I was like what, what from six to what 16 then you know it's like yeah. such a get out what sort of message does that send well, yeah because yeah. it's not teaching people difference because like my sister's kids they live in a primarily white yeah middle class town they might not see and heterosexual heteronormative they might not see any of those people but what is wrong with promoting no it's not i don't even like the word promoting actually what is wrong with usualizing the subjects that actually we have different so those who are at the top that have platforms whether it's newspapers, media, TV, they are not necessarily letting the difference come through in Mm. their work because they've not necessarily been exposed to it. Or actually, they have been and they didn't like it. The question is, who are those influencers that can change the narrative of seeing different types of families who are those influencers? Ah, well, there are many. Oh my god! Yeah, I knew well, it. it's got to be. I, I could talk about cultural appropriation, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> oh, that's and interesting. I'm interested. Oh no, that's really that'd be a whole other episode. Yeah, yeah. I know you're I'm, a troublemaker. You. Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, I'm aware I interrupted when you were talking about you went to college. Oh gosh, I've been known as this really naughty kid. Mm. I don't know if I've tried to live up to what people want to see or I've tried to change that. But, you know, I didn't have access to university till late. So, you know, my daughter was born. I was, would I call myself a young mother? I mean, I'm 45 and I look pretty damn good, right? (laughs) I know your listeners can't see, but we'll have a picture there somewhere. Oh, yeah. And I think... You know, being a mother took me away from what is it that I'm going to learn and what am I going to do? And I had to learn how to be a mother. So everything was secondary. So, yes, I did more college work, NVQs, everything you could possibly think of whilst raising a child. My journey went through that stage of being a, a young single mother and finding herself and the reason why it was a volatile relationship at the end and came to a halt is because I decided to people call it coming out I don't know if it was that I just knew that something was fundamentally wrong in our relationship and my feelings towards women were a lot stronger and I I couldn't explain it I didn't know it I didn't understand it but I started going on the, you know, going to the library, reading books, not just tipping the velvet, but, you know, (laughs) reading books and seeing images of women together. But they happened to be white women together. I wasn't seeing images of black women together. And I came out to him, if that's the term we could put it as, and I said, I don't think this is really working. And actually, I have feelings that I can't explain towards other women. My gosh, you don't tell a black man who is a Rastafarian who has an ego the size of the UK that, especially when homophobia plays a part in our everyday lives. And I'm not saying black people are more homophobic. I'm just saying we have different challenges with homophobia and biphobia and transphobia because of colonialism and sodomy laws that have been left in our country um, by you know the British by the Spanish by the Portuguese and so forth and yeah that was a day that I will never ever forget because the tirade of abuse that came from that is where you then have to walk away if you can and if you're fortunate enough to do so. Later on you you did go to university Yes, I've been able to do uh, my trade union labour relations and my employment law. And all of this is because I work for a trade union. So you have access to various, um, you know, 
uh, learning methods and tools. Big up Ruskin if they're listening. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, things were looking up. I had a had several relationships. Oh my gosh, did I just say that? I had relationships, yes, that were learning curves and eye-opening. And I felt probably most liberated that I was able to be me and kind of try to live my best self. Was it easy to meet other women? No. The first woman I met was through work and she took me to this place called Hemel. Oh, such a dive. (laughs) Sorry to Hemel, but it's like, it was one of the biggest nightclubs for lesbian and bi women. So it had your real stereotypical butch and women that called themselves dykes and, you know, ultra femmes, you know, lipstick lesbians. (laughs) And it was very white. So I was like, okay, you know, this is great, we're in a place, you know, and we're all dancing to I am what I am. And it felt like, okay, I found I found a home because there was a shared commonality, but experiencing racism, even within our own LGBT communities, people who have fought for the cause or campaigned for LGBT rights are not exempt from being assholes. sorry for swearing, yeah. but they're not exempt from being that just because they're yeah. fighting for rights for LGBT people. Yeah, and it was, so it was an experience, again, that led me to, am I in the right place? Am I in the right space? Um, and then I met up with these two people, one called Bo, who was running an organisation called Block. Mm-hmm. And Block stood for Black Lesbians in the UK. And I was like, oh my gosh. A lot of it was online. So it's online activity. You didn't know who was behind the keyboard. Some people who are keyboard warriors had far too much to say. Others were just trying to find themselves. And online, this platform had so many different subjects about, you know, studs, femmes, how you have sex, how you use dildos, things on health and well-being, mental health, sexual health, and um, others on what you like to cook for your partner, on Valentine's Day. It was just so many different subjects. And um, I said, why don't we try and take some of this offline, Mm. some of this activity offline? And me, who doesn't do any sports I said we could have a netball team or we could have a football (laughs) team so there was this five-a-side and people started engaging the women started coming out and we looked at more and more activities and in 2004 I organized with my then ex a trip to South End and People say, why on earth are you taking a group of black lesbians to South End? That's because... <laughs> There's gro- a film in that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I wish that we would have really recorded it. But um, South End, Broadstairs, Margate, they were the places that my father would take us to because we couldn't afford to go on holiday. So for me, I love South End. I love Margate. I love Broadstairs. Mm. So we were there, 2004, and... It was absolutely amazing to be in a space full of queer, black and brown women who understood each other in a way that we're not ordinarily seen in positively in the media, in TV and so forth. But it came with its challenges going to South End because we had resistance from some of the far right groups. Mm. Um, How many of them were you? So we had just under 200 because we had two busloads. We all met at Vauxhall, Gooding Street, and we went up in the morning. Everyone was late for the bloody bus. <laughs> but uh, we went up, coach waited for us, and then we left uh, probably about 9.30. And what was the resistance, or how did that even come about? Because when, you, when you're going to occupy space, whether it's a little bit of space, because it was Shrewsbury Ness in Southend, so it was right by the seafront, away from the main part of where the arcades are, you have to let the local authority know. And we had Southend local newspaper cover that there were a group of um, 
black gaze coming to South End. I think the, the headline was something quite skewed like that. It's a little bit ambiguous that mm. black gaze going to South End. And um, yeah, I think walking back from, I remember walking back from there and just looking at everyone enjoying themselves. We didn't have much money. So we had like this marquee that cost us £400. It was donated. Somebody bought their turntables. We had volleyball, went to the pound shop, got some games, picked, got black bin liners. And it was an event that was community-based, community-led and about people. So as I was walking back, I was with my then ex, I looked at all these people just celebrating, standing in one place, some dancing. We had a woman called Angie Legs. That was literally her name. (laughs) You know, cooking some jerk chicken. There was somebody going around with rum punch. And um, I looked back and I said, oh my gosh, this feels like the start of a Black Pride there were two people behind me they said you're always trying to start something you're going to get yourself killed you are one day I said why they said they will never let you have a black pride in the UK it's far too conservative they will absolutely go ballistic so the next year we had a black pride sounds easy getting to that next year but it was I'm trying not to cry because I've promised myself I won't but getting to 2005 and going to groups which like the then London Pride not the Pride in London but London Pride and saying to them actually we need your advice your help your assistance we want to set up a Black Pride we were told and there were three of us in that room we were told why don't you fuck off and go back to where you came from I kid you not who were the people in the they're not around at all no. anymore because London Pride became defunct yeah, and yeah. hence the, the setup of it. But we were in this room and we were like, can you believe it? We didn't know what to say. And you could see our eyes were welling up because do we challenge this, what I might call the gay mafia? Do we challenge, do we say something? We got up with like our tail between our legs and we walked out And we literally just held each other and started crying. Because when you think of the year before, we've been in this space and we absolutely feel liberated and understand that sort of challenging LGBT phobia and challenging racism cannot be divorced from each other. So if we're not seeing ourselves in the regular mainstream pride activities and movement, then you create what you don't see. And you would expect those people who have understood marginalisation or Mm. discrimination to a greater or lesser degree to grasp why we wanted to create this movement. You know, when somebody tells me no... Hmm. It's not going to be a no. We're going to make it happen. Civil rights movement did not happen just by being told, no, you cannot. They boycotted buses. They made sure they took a stand. So why would we not do that when it's about Mm. making sure people are visible and able to lead their best lives? But more importantly, looking at stuff from a real intersectional lens because we're not only dealing with black and brown people, we're dealing with people who are migrants, who are refugees, asylum seekers, who are unwaged or even undocumented, who are from working class backgrounds, who are lawyers, doctors, scientists, you know, who are so many different things, who are disabled, who are young, who are old. So the pride movements, as it stood didn't necessarily look at the differences or the challenges or the struggles that different groups faced. Mm. You can go back to 1972 when you had the first Pride and that was political. And it was with the understanding that we deserve to occupy space and to have the same rights as any heterosexual person. So UK Black Pride is political because I believe that, you know, as queer people, as LGBT plus people, our beings are political. You know, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, when they decided that they were going to start the Stonewall riots, 
they didn't just start it because they were troublemakers. They started it because it was about fighting for liberation. And they also faced challenges with being recognised as, you know, queer, black and brown, Latino ex-people in a largely white-dominated LGBT scene. So why wouldn't it have told those people that told us to F off and go back to where we're coming from that actually we're coming from the same place. We just may look different or we may have different challenges or different lived experiences. And that's why UK Black Pride exists. And how did that... So after that meeting... Hmm. We all went kind of silent because I think we were shocked by not being supported. Myself and a a woman called Maud, who is still part of UK Black Pride today, she said, what are you going to do, Phil? I said, it's not me one against the world. I'm tired. I'm, you know, what do you mean, what am I going to do? And she goes, well, this is not like you. We've, we've stayed silent. We had a brilliant year in 2004. Well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, you know what? We're going to look at how we raise money and we're going to go back to South End and we're going to have an event. And she goes, but how are we going to do that? I said, how do we do anything? We ask. We we, we ask people that will listen. We look for, we didn't use the word allies, we look for friends and family that will support us in our venture in doing this. We spoke with smaller grassroots organisations who couldn't afford to be part of Prides because it was so costly and expensive for them that they were like, well, we want to support you, we want to get involved, we want to be part of it. But we also had to be a bit more strategic in understanding that how do we convey what UK Black Pride is about to our wider LGBT community? Mm. And with a name like Black Pride, the word black, black people, comes with, whether people like to acknowledge it, comes with a negative connotation, comes with negativity, comes with a, a natural form of distrust and that's that unconscious bias, those things that sit in people's minds about how black people are perceived. So we're always going to get resistance to things. You two look so upset. Oh, my well, God, no, I'm just heartbroken. No, I, <laughs> no, I find it really interesting because as I'm, as I'm listening to you, you know, I'm, I, well, one, I'm finding it very inspiring. Two, I'm thinking, gosh, it's so interesting, the subconscious dialogues and narratives that are put into all of our heads mm-hmm. whatever that be about um, and it's not yeah. our fault no it's mm. not no it's because n- sometimes not our, our parents have been taught that way so that's what they teach us mm. yes and what's out in the wider in society Absolutely. you know the socio-political economic mm-hmm. climate in the media so it's it's just fascinating um i wish i could have just captured your faces because you really listening and you looked like so heartbroken (laughs) for me i wanted to get up and give you both a big hug we're both like that yeah well i feel like i I feel like i'm i'm listening to a story that should be made into a film it's just fascinating (gasps) so don't stop (gasps) what happens next you know the local authority were like, oh my gosh, we had a bit of spotlight. Oh my gosh, what's the spotlight going to be now? Mm. Because we're not just going back with black and brown queer women. We have created a pride that talks about our mission being that we support people who are African, Asian, Middle Eastern, Latin American, you know, from the diaspora. So this means more people are going to be interested. We had people come out of the woodwork who are like I want to see what this is about I want to be in this space and young people who said this was the best day of their life and they didn't know that there were so many black queer people in the UK Mm. we actually had um, Earl Folks who is the American um, guy who founded Washington DC Black Pride he came over Wow. to give advice, support, guidance. And that, for me, was like, wow. He, he he runs, well, he has like an almanac of all the black prides in America. 
and we're now listed as part of the Black Pride movement throughout the throughout the world, I would say. And he was there and he just said, this is brilliant. This is what it should be about. What I should add is that the trade unions were the ones that supported us. They were the ones who gave us the funding to be able to, you know, get trestle tables, to have a little community zone area, um, to help towards stores, our licensing, gave us advice on how to do it. And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have the sort of black pride that we have, you know, We've kept it grassroots. We've kept it about people over profit. We've vowed never to over-commercialise what Black mm, Pride is about. That was going to be one of, one of my questions. I was However, we started off as a paying pride because the money that we got from the sponsors, the trade unions, wouldn't cover absolutely everything. So we charged people £5 for a ticket. And I remember us driving around to drop tickets off and we didn't have the sort of PayPal facility. Mm. As a white gay man. Are you coming out, Will? Yes. <laughs> you did have to you paused for a think about it. Yeah. So. As a white <laughs> Fuck it, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> gay man. Um if I look at UK Black Pride, I'd think, oh gosh, am I is am I allowed to go there? Like am I you know, is it like is it my place to to go to that event? Do you get asked that a lot? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. See, and so we're asking those questions that some people want to really ask, but they're like, oh my gosh, it says Black Pride. Should I ask or not? Yeah. Absolutely. So UK Black Pride is not just for black and brown queer people. It is led by them. It is centering them and it is for them and their friends and allies mm. and supporters. We cannot just be talking to ourselves. Just before we set up this podcast, I was going to John Lewis to buy some white goods. <laughs> and um, I spoke to this lovely guy. He says there's a, people will turn, if he's in a large group larger than sort of three or four people, then he'll get turned away because I think they'll be creating trouble. From clubs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that there's people... Regular. And then even amongst friends like who who would go with just white people and then who would go with just black people and then that so there would be a divide there and I was just amazed by how many sort of different um mm-hmm. sort of chasms there were mm-hmm. you know and it's like you said earlier you think like LGBTQ plus community would be very welcoming but oh no you know mm-hmm. it ain't it, always in the LGBT plus community, I think some really serious issues about race uh, and racism. I don't think that people want to tackle this head on. Well, not all people want to tackle it head on. There are some great allies and supporters who are saying some good things about what we should do. But it means nothing if it's not implemented. It means nothing if we're not continuing to have the conversation. I have people that don't want to invite me somewhere because they're like, oh, you know, she's going to go on about race. Why? Does it make you uncomfortable? And if it makes you uncomfortable, great. That's a, that's a good thing, right? You know, get some fire in your belly, feel uncomfortable. But it's more that they feel guilty talking about racism. They feel guilty talking about colonialism and what's happened and why there are sodomy laws in particular countries or buggery laws in particular countries. They feel guilty about what they've inherited. And I say to people, guilt is so fucking self-indulgent and it serves no purpose whatsoever. Let us think about how we need to be made uncomfortable in order to change civil society, in order to change stuff. So, you know, you know, the racism, the the stories that come through to us, whether it's about that whole no dogs, no Irish, no blacks, you know, back in the day. Well, on Grindr, Mm. I've been onto some people's profile just to see what's happening. This young man was sent... Uh, a question about what do you like I think top bottom or whatever it may have been and they had a dialogue and he says oh what do you look like and sent in the picture and he went oh you're black 
And he went, yeah. And he says, oh, I don't go there. And then he sent him back a picture of an ape and said, this is why I don't do black men. I'm like, wow, there's no sort of monitoring. And that's just a a little small thing. And, you know, he just brushed it off. But actually, the racism that exists online with just even meeting people, the racism, whether it's subtle or whether it's overt, that exists like what we experienced when we were setting up UK Black Pride or asking for advice, it's there, but it's not challenged enough. What can we do about that? Not that you have the answer, but it's like, mm. you know, because it's actually quite a regular interface for a lot of people. It's how mm-hmm. a lot of people experience racism on a daily basis that is, it's new, you know, mm. they're relatively new. Well, I think there's got to be a starting point, right, where from the get-go, it explicitly says, if you're going to join this platform, we will not tolerate mm. any body fascism, any racism any form of discrimination but i don't know what the monitoring you know whether there's a moderation Mm. mechanism on grinder because i hear a lot more about grinder than Mm. i do where where i remember joining gaydar girls big up to the gaydar yes (laughs) you remember yeah (laughs) but you know i remember joining gaydar girls and you know there would be a couple of women that said oh oh you're lovely and everything but i don't do black girls and i thought what do you mean you don't do black girls you know and i think there's this like little viral video that went around that said we're not sweets that you can just try (laughs) and throw away however is that racist i don't care who you want to or who you choose to go out with or don't want to go out with i think it's just about how you say it you know you've got to check yourself if you can't check yourself then the the people that create those platforms have to feed in a mechanism that allows people to get banned and blocked mm, straight you know, away. You can report a profile or whatever, yeah. yeah. Mm. Can you report? I don't know if I you don't can. I know. I know they check you. Not fussy, are you? I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a volume. It's just a numbers game. <laughs> no time to check. I think Grinders actually... Thank you, Grinder, for some experiences <laughs> in my life. Um, <laughs> and the same for a boyfriend. Right? Yeah. Well, um, it's not that type of podcast. Be niche, careful. Be <laughs> you didn't read up, did you? Season two, episode six. <laughs> I'll, um, what's it called when you transcribe it for you? <laughs> hey, but, um, I do think they actually some of those places because of course there are more than Grinder and all those places mm-hmm. um, they do have some responsibility because like you yes. said those are often you know we did a, a trip around the UK and went to went outside of any cities what are they stuff. called country rural, rural areas rural. and you know people <laughs> do just get <laughs> on called outside that's because <laughs> Grinder doesn't work there so he doesn't there know honestly you'll be up a hill okay. <laughs> I've got two bars <laughs> What do you think? Just the the coat. (laughs) John, he said. If um, like that, that's a lifeline for people, Mm. particularly living online. So I do think um, Mm. all those apps and sites do have. um, I mean, they're making money out of people, so they. So maybe it is those people, yeah, that are targeted. They've Mm. got to be, but. I don't know. I, I feel like they've dodged the bullet so far. Mm. I could sit and hear you talk all day. Mm. Oh, really? Okay. My daughter couldn't. She can't <laughs> talk so much. Yeah. You're her mum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't my mother. It wasn't? No, I don't know who it is. You know, you get a, a number and you just think, who is that person <clears throat> calling? New phone, who dis? <laughs> um, I wish you wouldn't do that to me every week. I know. I, I'll try it and stop. It does make me laugh. Or you could save my number. <laughs> um, now, uh, first things first, William, bit of housekeeping. UK Black Pride this year is on Sunday the 7th of July. Yes, in London. In London, good point. Um, I'm going to be going down. I you can't m- go down, I've got a gig. When she asked us, you said, she said, I hope you guys will come. And you said, I am agrophobic, so it's amazing. And I, I am a bit agrophobic, that's that was true. funny. It's difficult with large crowds. A lot of what Lady Phil was talking about there, about abuse on apps like Grinder and stuff, um, we want to hear from you guys. Tell us what you think. Yes, It's an yes, ongoing yes. discussion, no? Yes. So please stop what you're doing. Take and, out your typewriter. And email us at oh. hello at homosapienspodcast.com oh look at that it flows out of me now it's like it's watching three it. seasons a little um, 
little birdie fly, a chick fly Chicky. from the nest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought there was a worm there. Next week is our last episode of the season. We've got John Amici, the first out NBA star in America. Is basketball. A, basketball, yeah. Our last stop on our US tour. Yes. Uh, final little bit of housekeeping, William, is don't forget, listeners, that you have got 21 days left to buy yourself a Homo Sapiens t-shirt or sweater. All you have to do is go to everpress.com forward slash homo dash sapiens. Hotcake selling they are like... And what are you doing with my toe? <laughs> Just twiggling your toe. Will's twiddling my toe, which must mean only one thing. It's time for a song. It's time for a song. The Dynasty theme tune. Da, 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 no, that's da, da. Roadshow. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Um, it's Dynasty. Da, da, da. Da, 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 da. Homo sapiens. Homo sapiens. This is incredible. Homo, I know, voice of a generation. Homo, homo, homo. that's what everyone says. Oh, oh, and then they throw things at me. Homo, homo, homo sapiens. I know, that's Black Beauty, is it? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.